recognition by countries around the world that this is the way that we can move forward, solving many of our problems. It's almost universal. So upwards of 60 countries have specific bioeconomy strategic plans that they've issued. The EU has an enormous one. They started it actually in 2003, and their strategic plan was generated in 2012. We had the beginnings of one in the previous two administrations, and the Biden administration now is really focused in on the workforce requirement and so on. China, every five years, upgrades and updates its approach to the bioeconomy. And often in collaboration with companies from the West, China is working to develop its bioeconomic approaches to solving a lot of these problems. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. If that describes you, then this is the podcast for you. If you're a freelancer, a startup or small business, a well-established company, a nonprofit, or even someone thinking about a second or possibly a third career, this is for you too. You see, here in Looking Forward, we focus on global trends in the future, but most importantly, on the opportunities they're creating. Our guest experts will not only tell you about those opportunities, they will also give you some tips to help you take the first steps toward capitalizing on them. I'm your host, Jeff Ostroff. Hi, everyone. What if I told you there's an economic engine that will amount to trillions of dollars and it's already taken off? That engine is called the bioeconomy, which while improving our global climate, is also creating lots of job, career, business, and investment opportunities. My guest expert on today's episode is Dr. Nancy Connell, and she does a great job of informing us about the bioeconomy and all that it offers to our planet and to those seeking opportunities. To learn more about Nancy, please listen to the episode and check the show notes. Now, before we get started, I want to say a few words about our sponsor, Superpass. Do you make podcasts, video courses, or other content? Well, that means you need your own engaging website and mobile app for everything you make. And Superpass can help. Turn your followers into superfans and paid customers. Elevate your brand with your own stunning website and mobile app. And with Superpass, it's never been easier. Superpass is the most powerful content app maker on the market. And now you can try it for free. Or like me, you can be on one of their other plans. Enter code LOOKINGFORWARD, all one word, all caps, looking forward, and get a 10% lifetime discount on any of their plans. Go to superpass.com. That's super with an A, superpass.com. And hey, if you want us to mention your organization on the show, please contact us for more details. Okay, let's get started. Well, hi, Nancy. Welcome to Looking Forward Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. Thank you so much for inviting me to talk about the bioeconomy today. Well, it's my pleasure, Nancy. I heard you speak one time and I was just wowed by your knowledge, wowed by the topic. And I said, we've got to get Nancy on Looking Forward. And I'm sure that others who will listen to the show here are going to be similarly wowed by your topic and by all the great information that you're going to share with them. So you're an expert on the bioeconomy. Can you please share with our listeners, Nancy, just a little bit 
about how you got involved and interested in understanding the bioeconomy? Sure, I'm happy to, Jeff. Like, Just my educational history, my undergraduate education was in music, as it turns out. But at the end of those four years, I realized probably I should think about science, and I was interested in science, and I went on to get a PhD, actually, in microbiology. The background to all of this is that I had a very early interest, you won't believe this, in peace activism. Wow. And one of the kinds of, uh, and at the time we were thinking of three, and this is now in the 70s, we were thinking about three kinds of weapons, nuclear weapons, who were very important in those days, but also chemical and biological weapons. And in fact, in 1972, there was a uh, commitment across the world to not develop or stockpile biological weapons. And it was signed, has been signed now by almost every country in the world, which is now, what, 218 countries. A few countries haven't signed. However, throughout my whole career, I remained interested in biological weapons and the responsibility of scientists to be sure the use of biological weapons never takes place. So I have this string of ethics running through my whole career. After the PhD in microbiology, I worked in for many years at Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey, where I worked on, on antibiotic mechanisms for respiratory bacteria, like tuberculosis. Now, yes. as the 30 years that I spent at Rutgers preceded the advances in genetic technologies and biotechnology in general were enormous. And in fact, the past 10 years has really jettisoned us forward. The result of all this about 10 years ago was the establishment of a new field called synthetic biology. And synthetic biology is the use of mostly microorganisms, bacteria, yeast, and so on, sometimes algae, you know, small organisms to actually carry out processes that could be useful for manufacturing. And that's the focus of the work that I'd like to talk about today. Not so much medicine and healthcare. We can do that another time. I'd like to talk about manufacturing new products. That sounds great. I will tell you. By the way, that when you said TB, tuberculosis, mm -hmm. that has personal significance to me because my maternal grandfather died of tuberculosis. And when my sister and I were very young, we had to get shots and everything just to make sure that we might not get it. Bioeconomy is a term that may be unfamiliar to some people or at least not entirely clear to them. You're talking about synthetic biology as well. What's a good way for people to understand what the bioeconomy means? Yeah. So the bioeconomy is difficult to define, and there are multiple ways to think about it. And the reason it's difficult to define is that it's so unbelievably multidisciplinary. There are, from people from all walks of life are involved in the bioeconomy across, but I'll do my best. So the bioeconomy is the use of biological systems to produce goods and services at commercial scale. So in the lab, we do biology, we solve problems, post-scientific problems, solve them with experiments. Here, we're trying to move some of this work out of the laboratory and onto a commercial scale and solve some of the problems that we have with resources, non-renewable resources, and so on. The basic notion is that the bioeconomy will phase out non-renewable or polluting resources like fossil fuels and the waste sometimes in, in things like leather production and wood pulp and so on and replace them with biological renewable resources. Now, I'll just say that humans, civilization, we've always relied on biological resources to create things. So at first, this might not make sense. Food, medicines, fuel, construction material, clothing, chemicals, dyes, all of these things have been traditionally made from biological resources like trees, plants, animals, minerals, and so on. But these are now under threat. We're polluting our 
air, we're polluting our water. We have a dangerous relationship with fossil fuels. What's new now is that these kinds of scientific advances, like synthetic biology that I've mentioned, have broadened the techniques and the technology that we can use to make these things like food, medicine, fuel, construction, material, chemicals, dyes, fibers, etc. Okay. So in one sense, it started out sounding like it was uh, almost like a pharmaceutical where you start in a lab and you're testing things out and then you finally you test it and it works and you bring it to mass market. But we're veering off into a different direction here. For sure. Oh, yeah. Everywhere. And so I think the best thing to do would be just to take a few minutes to describe some specific examples. And then I think it will become so clear um, where we're going. So, for example, in agriculture, we all know that plants need nitrogen, phosphorus and so on. But they nitrogen, carbon and water to grow and so on. And we supply nitrogen to most plants in the form of fertilizer. Fertilizer is made from nitrogen that's taken from the atmospheric air and heating it under enormous pressure to make ammonia. This is a very expensive proposition. It's the Haber and Bosch. It's a hundred-year-old chemical reaction. We've been doing it for a hundred years, using huge amounts of resources to heat and, and put pressure on atmospheric nitrogen to make it into ammonia. And then the fertilizer in various forms is poured over massive fields all over the world. Much of it leaks out and leads to things like eutrophication, Oh, those are the algal blooms that we're seeing in many of our seashores and other areas of water, and also greenhouse gases, right? So these are the side products of the traditional way of making nitrogen for plants. Here's the solution. This is the bioeconomic solution in the new, in the, this new approach. Some plants don't need nitrogen. We know what you, you, they're all familiar to you. Peanuts, for example, all the legumes. Hmm. Why is that? Because attached to their roots are bacteria that can do that process. They don't have to use a huge amount of heat or high pressure. Wow. They have enzymes that actually capture nitrogen mm. in the air, make it into fixable, into usable nitrogen, and give it to their own plants. So what scientists are doing are engineering corn and uh, wheat and rice, which cannot get their own nitrogen. They're engineering them with these microbes attached to their roots so that they can now do what legumes can do. And now we can completely eliminate the need to make these massive amounts of ammonia to pour all over our fields, which will then leak into the water beds. So that's one example. And there's a company in California called Pivot Bio. I'll give a few examples as I go through these through this list. But remember, these are just some examples. And there are many companies out there working on these this kind of work. In field tests with these new microbes, Pivot Bio in California has shown that engineered corn yields about eight bushels more per acre than traditionally fertilized ones. But the side effect is that there's no nitrogen being poured into the soil. That's it. That, that's the key point. So all of these solutions to, to problems that we've solved in one way have these added advantages of protecting the environment or limiting greenhouse gas production and so on. Biofuels is another area. So we made fuel from corn. That was great. But then the price of the tortilla in Mexico skyrocketed and this was not sustainable. So now... It turns out that there are bacteria that can actually capture industrial waste gases and make ethanol. And as you all know, ethanol can be used as fuel directly, but also can be further processed to make other kinds of chemicals and fuels, jet fuel and so on. Here we have bacteria that are now able to take waste gases from a steel mill, for example. And this is a company called Lanzatech in Illinois, which has done this working with their collaborators in China to capture steel mill waste gases to make into jet fuel. Fantastic. 
couple more examples, the Impossible Burger. And you've all heard, probably tried Impossible Burgers. Impossible Burgers taste so much like meat because the protein called heme, which is what gives meat its, sorry for the word, bloody kind of taste, is actually just a molecule. It's a regular molecule. There are genes that encode enzymes that produce it. Those have been cloned and organized and characterized. What they do is add these genes to yeast, and then they grow the yeast in these gigantic fermenters. There's like these huge stainless steel brewing tanks that you see at your favorite local brewery. And the yeast that produces the heme is collected and put into the material that's made into the impossible worker, which is soy, soybeans, ground soybeans, and other things. In the production of impossible burgers, 75% less water is used. 95% less land is used and 87% less greenhouse gases are emitted. So you can see that this new approach to creating meat substitutes is mitigating a lot of our environmental problems. There are new ways to make plastics, what are called bioplastics that are degradable. And these new plastics can be made from CO2, again, taken from waste products from industry and so on, and then and transformed into bioplastic that can be made into all the things that we know about furniture protection or actually the materials in furniture and packaging material. So these are organisms that pull carbon out of farms, water treatment plants, and landfills and make them into degradable bioplastics to use in various aspects of our packaging and furniture production. Just a couple more. Cement is another really interesting one. Cement is a key component of concrete. And what I think many of us don't realize is that the global production of cement around the world accounts for 8% of all CO2 emissions, 8%. And in fact, if the entire cement industry were a country, it would come right behind the U.S. and China for CO2 emissions. Wow. So the global demand continues to grow. And despite the severe environmental impact of how cement is made. So a microbiology company called Biomason has created this wonderful technique for making what they're calling biobricks. And they make them by uh, taking a brick-sized mold and they put sand in the mold and then they infect the sand with bacteria, a certain kind of bacterium that they've, that they've modified. They add calcium and then the bacteria take the calciums and create a carbonate, calcium carbonate shell, extremely hard, strong enough to be used in place of brick for construction. So the bacterial cell will stick together and make this brick. The brick grows in about three to five days. You just have a pot of sand and then you have a brick in three to five days. And then the final point I want to make is about textiles and dyes. And textiles um, made from biological projects in biomanufacturing are now at Target. And if you just go to Amazon, you can find any number of bio-based, plant-based, what are called vegan clothes. In San Francisco, there's a company called Bolt Threads which looked carefully at spider uh, silk, and then they were able to actually clone the genes that make the, the enzymes that make spider silk and use those in yeast. Again, they put them into yeast and they get these gigantic fermenters, these huge tanks, and grow up tons of this silk protein, which they can then make into beautiful clothes. And it's sustainable. We can replace leather. We can replace all different kinds of materials with actually bio-based clothing. Prices are starting to come down. I think this is one area that's really moving fast into the consumer world. Just one final comment about clothing, and that's that the dye industry around the world is expensive and dangerous, often based on petroleum products or on very toxic chemicals extracted with difficulty from plants and so on. 
Same process. Look, go into the plants, find the genes that encode these colors, these beautiful dyes, and produce them in fermentation tanks. I think these six examples have given you an idea of the many things that we use in everyday life that are costing us the life of the planet, the survival of the planet, and that these are methods, I think, that we can start using to uh, rectify a lot of the damage that we've done, to mitigate it and reverse the trend. Nancy, I think that's fascinating. It reminds me of something I heard somebody say recently, which is rather than countries all getting together to cooperate and reduce the impact of global warming and affect climate change in a positive way, that it's going to be more technology and public-private partnerships with technology that's mm-hmm. going to help change this. Having said that, I've got a couple of quick follow-up questions for sure. you. It is clear that there's a lot of things going on and a lot of possibilities. Can you, in a, even a general sense, quantify how big an industry, if you were to wrap your arms around the bioeconomy, would you say it is? Trillions. Trillions of dollars. Wow. Well, and certainly the predictions are somewhere around $4 trillion by 2030. Unbelievable. Which is not that far off. 2030, not- 2040, the next decade or so. The recognition by countries around the world that this is the way that we can move forward, solving many of our problems, it's almost universal. So upwards of 60 countries have specific bioeconomy strategic plans that they've issued. The EU has an enormous one. They started it actually in 2003, and their strategic plan was generated in 2012. We had the beginnings of one in the previous two administrations, and the Biden administration now is really focused in on the workforce requirements and so on. China, every five years, upgrades and updates its approach to the bioeconomy. And often in collaboration with companies from the West, China is working to develop its bioeconomic approaches to solving a lot of these problems. Well, what I can conclude so far, Nancy, from our conversation is that this is a gigantic industry and it is really being triggered by concerns about global warming. That's what's really driving this. And one of the things that we're always interested in and try to focus on with looking forward is the global extent of a trend. And this clearly, when you talk about 60 countries, you're talking about China, this is something that is in fact global. I really hope you're enjoying this episode so far. If you are, can you please do me a small favor? Let some of your family members, friends, or others in your network know about it and about looking forward opportunities for job, career, business, and investment seekers. And hey, if you happen to like this podcast, my interviewing approach, or maybe even my voice, please consider checking out some of the many services my business provides. These include podcast hosting, creation, and consulting, voiceovers, professional interviewing, production of audio or video profiles to help you sell your business, promote your services, increase your customers, or raise funding, and services to help you market to the large and growing seniors population. That's something I've actually written a book about. To learn more, please visit www.jeff-ostroff.com. You can also email me at jeff at jeff-ostroff.com. Now let's get back to this episode of Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, 
business and investment seekers. Now I'd like you to delve into something that is really the hub of the podcast, which is opportunities. So when you're speaking about what's happening in all these different areas of the bioeconomy, and boy, you gave us some great examples, Nancy, what might that mean in the way of opportunities for any of these different groups? You don't have to talk about all of them, but anybody from a job seeker to a career seeker to a student who's trying to figure out what to major in. I know you've worked with a lot of students. To those who start are starting businesses, entrepreneurial type people, freelancers, and lastly, investors. Where do you see opportunities as concretely as you can make that for any of those different groups? So I'll just start by laying out what the common features are. If you look across the strategic plans of, of the U.S., of the EU, of multiple countries, their individual strategic plans, Africa, the Americas, Central, South America, Canada, and, and China. And here are the common features. Need for a strong and vibrant science and technology base. Infrastructure development and capacity building. That's key. Uh, a coherent policy framework. And then finally, a workforce. A ready and able workforce. Okay. Setting that stage then, thinking about the opportunity. There is a range of industrial sectors that's affected. Agriculture, forestry, fishing production and manufacturing, construction, and then, of course, all the scientific issues, which would require microbiology, chemistry, biochemistry, and bioengineering, which is key. So it's not only STEM, science, tech, engineering, and math. It's not only STEM training and experience, but also digital skills and legal skills. The IP issues are massive. How are we going to decide who owns what? And so regulatory issues, the FDA, EPA are going to have to start dealing with these very interesting genetically engineered organisms, big project management issues, and problem solving. So a sample of careers would be obviously microbiology, and that's where the synthetic biology comes in, but energy engineer, anaerobic digestion plant operators. Mm. This is not trivial work, but it's trainable, and it's a vocation, vocational level training that, that will be necessary for this forest and woodland management, agriculture management, chemical engineers, and so on. What about people who are long out of school or at least been out of school for several years? They're looking for jobs. They're looking to change careers. And then I'm thinking also, Nancy, about the entrepreneurs. You mentioned all these different exciting startup companies and maybe the investors. What are you seeing for these different people? You did mention some job titles, so I know you've covered that. Yeah, well, you know, I think that because of the the requirements in this industry for for digital skills, for familiarity with AI, for example, with artificial intelligence, with either learning models or big data organization. So I know that 10 years ago, say everybody said, go code, learn to code. If you learn to code, you'll have a job. Now everybody can code. There are a few jobs, but people who can code and who understand, you know, big data can actually find a niche in this new area. And I think that's an important kind of retraining. So where does the capital come from for a lot of these efforts? Certainly there is support from the government. There There is also venture capital. And entrepreneurs are clearly tuned in to the kinds of exciting discoveries that take place often in, in universities and so on, or, or in research institutes who are uh, where there are people who are trying to solve environmental and other kinds of problems and realize we can use this to actually move forward a a new product 
that could be, in addition to saving the planet, could also solve a manufacturing problem. So the investment opportunities, I think, are enormous, enormous. Yeah, it sounds like it because you're talking about trillions of dollars here and you're eventually yeah, and you were and you were citing various companies. The one with the bricks particularly caught my attention with the concrete industry. So I got to feel like there's a lot of uh, opportunity yeah. there as well. Well, I think the creativity, the the you know, and commitment of these of a lot of these researchers, it's infectious when you start paying attention and finding them out there. There are um, meetings uh, at conferences where people get together to talk about their ideas. One is called Synbio, S Y N B I O. That's a, an interesting group to follow. So just the enormous potential and creativity of synthetic biology in general is starting to come to fruition. It's really terrific to watch. I can see how you'd be excited. I'm excited about it. I wish maybe I was about 40 years younger, but I, there still may be a way, perhaps by investing, I can get involved in something like this because it's a doing good kind of a thing as well. Nancy, you have indicated that at least through the rest of this decade, things still look quite promising. Things aren't going to turn back the other way as you see it. You have given already a few tips for people about how they can learn more about the industry. Anything else that you would want to add? So really the key thing is where did you start from, right? So if you're in school, ask. Find out in your school whether there's a biotech program. If you can't find one in your school, find one somewhere else. There's certificates that are given, and I can actually give you some examples of some wonderful uh, stories, uh, interviews with students who said, ah, this biotechnology certificate changed my life. I'm now doing something that's meaningful. It's in manufacturing, but I'm helping the world. If you're not in school, there, there are these programs for retraining. So I read a wonderful story from a guy who retrained in the middle in middle age, in, the four, in his 40s, he retrained to become fermenter engineer and just loves his new work. It's challenging and interesting and so on. There are podcasts, there are educational programs. I'm going to have to talk mostly, I think, about the U.S. here, but similar activities going on all over the world. For example, the Department of Labor has a, a state apprenticeship program in apprenticeship expansion formula, they call it. That's in biotech. The Department of Commerce has a National Institute for Innovation in Manufacturing Biopharmaceuticals. The Department of Education, Unlocking Career Success Initiative, all focused on biotech. The NSF has two important programs that are now mostly focused in community colleges. One is called Innovate Bio. And so these national biotech education centers supported by NSF have been set up all around the country. Tufts, Georgia, Illinois, Urbana, University of Texas at Austin, the community college there has a wonderful program. You can Google, you can just Google biotech programs in colleges. What are the best for 2024? What are the best schools with biotech degrees? And I should say that for the most part, they are the big ag schools, the big agricultural, the land grant colleges like State University of New Jersey, of New York, of Kansas, and so on. Central Florida, again, Urbana. Rutgers, right up there where I taught for 30 years. <laughs> Delaware, Syracuse, U University of Maryland, all of these state schools have really good programs happening. These are some of the educational programs. Where else can you go? Podcast. So I'm a great podcast listener. And this is my first podcast that I've ever been on. But I should say that here are ones that I've really enjoyed lately. Grow Everything, terrific podcast. Young people who are talking to synthetic biologists and 
looking at new programs, both on the educational side and the technology side. The Bloom Bioeconomy, this is the Bloom organization, Bloom Bioeconomy podcast is terrific. All Things Bio, Living Revolution, Think Future, Foresight. The bioeconomy is out there and is being heavily discussed in these interesting podcasts. And then just finally, I would say read literature. So what are my three go-to sites? Wired, Scientific American, and MIT's Technology Review. Those are the three magazines that I read every single week religiously to find out what I can about the bioeconomy. We should say, for those who aren't familiar, NSF is National Science Foundation. Yep. I just want to make an important point. One thing that's recognized by a lot of these educational programs here and abroad is the value of hands-on work of internships and externships and so on. And so many of the companies who are are developing these products recognize that in order to have a solid workforce behind them, they're looking for people, they need to provide paid internships and so on. And so you can work for two or three months in in the industry and find out if you like it. So I'll describe an organization that was set up by, funded by public-private partnerships between the Department of Defense and with other funding sources from the government. And this system is called BioMade, B-I-O-M-A-D-E. And it's a sort of a huge incubator, well, huge organization that has all of these kinds of, of skills in one place. So there are laboratories, obviously, there are scale-up. So laboratories to to test a new product and then expertise to scale up the product so that it can be that can be provided at a commercial level, but also the digital, legal, and regulatory issues that accompany these developments are also present at Biomade. And so if I would urge your listeners to go look at the Biomade website, which is very informative and just thrilling, really, just so exciting. Those are terrific tips. Is there anything else that you would want to add, Nancy, to the discussion about the bioeconomy, the opportunities that this presents, the future of it? Yeah, there's a program that originated in, at MIT called the International Genetically Engineered Machines Competition. It's a science wow. fair, science competition. It started in 2004 with 31 people who were spread out over five teams, and every single year, except 2020 because of the pandemic, but for every single year, it's just blossomed. In 2022, last year, there were 7,757 participants and 356 teams hitting every single continent around the world. It's a remarkable thing. Its quick name is iGen, I-G-E-N. And if you just Google the term iGen, you can read about it. But I want to talk, I'd like to talk about it because of an important aspect it, it's an organization that whose sort of overall goals are to enable the systematic engineering of biology, which is the direction that we're going, and to promote the open and transparent development of tools for this engineering, open source tools that everybody can use them, and to construct a society that can safely and productively apply biology to technology. And that's that last point I'd like to talk about a little bit, because in my introduction to my involvement in this area in the beginning, I talked about ethics and responsibility. And one of the very important aspects of this entire program of the bioeconomy is the urgency with which we need to be safe and secure as we go through. And one of the things about the iGEM program, which is undergraduates, college students, high school students, and postgraduates, 
if there's 7,000 this year, that's cumulative, right? So there were 7,000 last year. And if you add up the numbers, there are literally hundreds of thousands of young people, like maybe 100,000, from all over the world who have gone through the process of identifying a problem in their society and proposing a biotechnology solution while the whole time thinking about the biosafety, how safe is the program, what are the human goals, what are the human practices. And so here are thousands of kids, young people, who are now fanning out into the field with a very good grounding in ethics and responsibility. And I think that's a really important aspect of this entire bioeconomy, that it's rooted in responsible science. And I think that's an important one. It is. And it goes back to, as you said, why you originally got involved in all this in the first yep. place. Yeah. So I'm still a judge in the iGen competition every year and spend hours reading all these young people's terrific projects. And they work on things like how to detect an infection of, of the plants in the tea garden in, in a whole field of tea plants. How can they find where an infection might be using an engineer microorganism? Or another really wonderful one was to replace plastic fishing nets with a protein-based fishing net system a fiber from, again, from spider silk so that they will uh, not sink to the bottom of the ocean and, and create these huge drag, these huge drag net, completely indestructible fishing nets. And, and they're out there. They're, they called it the snoop tag catcher system. And they're out there being used around the community, the fishing community. So it's, it's terrific. There's 22 year olds coming up with these things. Yeah. It is yeah. terrific. We've got very young people who are coming up with great ideas that will probably lead to solutions to some of the world's greatest climate related problems. And it will also create jobs and businesses as well as you have already spoken about are already being created. Nancy, what's the best way for people to find out more about you if they wanted to follow up in, in any way with your work and the stuff that you've talked about here? Yeah, well, I have a LinkedIn account and so I, and I keep pretty close track with that. But I think as far as finding out more about the bioeconomy, contact me and I can send you a bunch of good resources. There are a lot of reports and, and analyses as the field grows and changes and so on that are keeping track of how it works. So. Okay. And Nancy, on LinkedIn, we'll let people know your last name is spelled C-O-N-N, like Nancy, Nancy, E-L-L, -L, mm -hmm. like love, love. That would be a way they can reach you there. This has been terrific. Lots of opportunities. That's what we like to focus on. And these are real opportunities. And these are opportunities, again, that come with the added benefit of helping the world become a safer and better place. And what I also like about these opportunities is so many of them, in addition to involving younger people, not that it's just younger people involved, but they call for collaboration among people who may very well live in different parts of the world. And that's what we need so much more of, people working together across country boundaries and continent boundaries to solve some of these very pressing problems that we have in the world today. So Nancy, thank you so much for being our guest on Looking Forward Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. It's been great having you share your expertise on the show. Well, thank you for a terrific conversation, and I found it inspiring as well. Thank so, you. My pleasure. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. I hope you've enjoyed it and will benefit from it. And if you did like it, please share this episode with anyone you know who you think might also find it of value. And if you have any comments or questions about Looking Forward, or any suggestions for future topics or guest experts, you can reach me at the website www.jeff-ostroff.com or through my email address, jeff at jeff-ostroff.com. Thanks.